Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bet Friend Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball now until the end of the final four the road will end there in atlanta and we have another big time show for you guys today breaking down everything that happened in another loaded weekend of college basketball action and we talked a little bit about this last week but the nfl season which is going on much later than what we're normally used to uh they added a new playoff team and an extra week a few years ago so it feels like as soon as the nfl season ends not only does hopefully the weather in your area start looking a little bit better but also we are just that much closer to march in college basketball we're even closer to pitchers and catchers report in baseball but we are already towards the end of january which is really the time of year when college basketball starts to heat up and you guys already know that we're going to be breaking it all down here on the college hoops daily podcast and for today's episode the big 12 sec challenge takes place over the weekend this is actually going to be the final Big 12 SEC Challenge, which I'm pretty disappointed about. It's one of the events in college basketball I look forward to all year, especially after I know a lot of people aren't happy about the fact that they took the Bracket Busters event away. That was another event that people in college basketball used to look forward to every year. But unfortunately, things change, and we did enjoy the Big 12 SEC Challenge while it lasted. And this was a big weekend for the Big 12, which a lot of people, including myself, do consider pretty clearly to be the top conference in all of college basketball. The Big 12 goes 7-3 and three straight up against the SEC, with the only SEC teams being able to pull out victories was Missouri over Iowa State, Mississippi State in overtime over TCU, and Tennessee beating Texas. All three of those teams uh, were able to win at home. Uh, There were a few teams that were able to go on the road and win. But without further ado, let's break it all down. And we have to start at one place. It was the game of the night, the game of the event. Uh, You had Kansas, the number nine ranked team in the country. But it was interesting because really for a rare instance, there was actually some pressure on Kansas going into this game, considering they were on a three-game losing streak. They lost at Kansas State a few weeks ago. Then they lose at home to TCU in blowout fashion. That was the second largest home loss of the Bill Self era and the the largest loss in Allen Fieldhouse with Bill Self coaching Kansas with fans. If you remember, the largest uh, home loss Kansas ever suffered in the Bill Self era was in 2021 when there were no fans in the stands that came against Texas. So Kansas actually went into this game with some pressure. And it's interesting because Kentucky, even though they were the team that was not ranked in this matchup, they came into this game feeling pretty good about themselves on a four-game winning streak. If you remember, Kentucky maybe turned their season around going on the road and beating Tennessee, which is starting to look like one of the better wins of any team in college basketball so far this season, Kentucky was able to go into Tennessee, win that game. They also were able to win a couple home games against Georgia and Texas A&M. And then they went on the road to Vanderbilt 
and won pretty easily. But Kansas, one of their uh, – it wasn't – I shouldn't even say that. It wasn't their, one of their better performances of the season, but it was a back-and-forth game. They find a way to win 77-68. to 68. And here's my number one takeaway with Kansas, right? Going into the season, I was concerned about the fact that they just lost so many guys from the national championship team of last year, right? From Oshaya Baji to David McCormick to Christian Braun to Remy Martin. And in Braun and McCormick's case, like, I don't necessarily know if Bill Self was even expecting to lose those guys. You know, Abaji really could have went to the NBA the year prior, but he made the proper decision to come back to school, and that really helped his draft stock. But I was just a little bit concerned about the number of alphas or the number of pros this Kansas team had considering they lost a bunch of them from last year's national championship team. And we're seeing a lot of places around the country, Michigan, Texas Tech, are two teams that come to mind. Like, there could be certain instances when you just have a special team with special players, and no matter how good of a coach you are, if you're losing, like, four or five of those guys, it's not going to be easy to replace them. And at times, especially during this losing streak, I think we've seen a little bit of that with Kansas, but Jalen Wilson, you got to start off by praising him. He has 22 points, eight rebounds, shooting 50% from the field, nine of 18 and two of three from downtown. And I know that Zach Eady from Purdue right now is the consensus national player of the year. Uh, if you didn't check it out, my guy, Aaron Torres and I, we, uh, you guys know him. Of course, we uh, did the uh, All-American teams for the first half of the season. All three teams, the best 15 players in college basketball. You guys can check that out on Aaron Torres online, but Jalen Wilson, he did make the first team, but I'm really starting to think like if Kansas keeps this up and they stay a consensus top five, top 10 team all year. And I know Purdue as well as in that range. All I'm trying to say is I think Jalen Wilson has a legitimate chance still of winning national player of the year, because every single time Kansas takes the floor, he is going to be the best player on the floor. And you saw in this game, he finally got some help, right? Kevin McCullough, 11 points, 12 rebounds, playing on a bad ankle. He has struggled at times so far this season for Kansas, the Texas Tech transfer who had some big expectations going into the season. He played really well against Kentucky on Saturday. Uh, Grady Dick, the freshman who has been really good for the majority of the season, but he's been struggling a little bit in his last few games. He has 13 points, uh, only shoots one of five from three. So you, you still think there's room for him to get better there. And then KJ Adams, did his best against Oscar Shibway. He limits Oscar to 18 points. And I know limits 18 points. Like that does sound like a lot, but if you're doing that against Shibway, I feel like everyone knows, like he's going to get some of his own. You have to limit him, not just completely stop him. That's unrealistic. So Adams did a good job there. And he also had 17 points. Like I love KJ Adams game. The problem is he's six, seven. And when you're playing him at center, that's a really small look. And especially in this matchup against Kentucky, that could be a matchup that scares you at times. But at the end of the day, Bill Self and Kansas do what they usually do. And that's enough to win the ball game on the road, especially after last season, Kentucky was able to go into Allen Fieldhouse and destroyed the eventual national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, it's crazy. If you look at the both teams trajectories after that game. Kentucky, we know what happened to them. They end up losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament in just shocking fashion to St. Peter's. And then you have Kansas, who went on all the way 
to win a national championship. So we'll see if the fortunes could flip this time. You know Kansas wanted that game, especially after everything Kentucky did to them in that matchup in Allen Fieldhouse last season. But I think the key to this Kansas team is Jalen Wilson getting help. Because every time I watch Kansas, Jalen Wilson, most of the time, I, I should say, like he takes over the game. And every time I watch Kansas, he's going to give you at least something. He's not going to give you a no-show performance. And what makes Kansas so dangerous is they have other guys capable of stepping up. They could just be a little bit inconsistent at times, especially when, like, I love Dewan Harris's game. I think he's a winning player. I think he was a big reason why Kansas was able to win that national championship last year. But there are times where he's just not really a threat shooting and on the offensive side of the ball. And that's going to give opposing defenses a pretty big advantage on him. And he made some plays in this game early. He makes a couple threes. He had eight assists in the game, finishes with eight points, eight assists, uh, two of four from three. So Dewan Harris and KJ Adams, like when those guys are stepping up, that's when Kansas is going to be really hard to beat. And when we look at the big 12 from a big picture matter, I still think Kansas is the team to beat in the Big 12. I love Baylor, and their guards are very dangerous in a tournament setting. Like, I'm not sure how many backcourts there there are better in all of college basketball than Keontae George, LJ Cryer, and Adam Flagler. TCU, I love them when they're healthy, but Mike Miles suffered a pretty scary injury. It's looking like he's only going to be out about a month. Uh, the MRI did come back clean, but TCU, they're a different team without Miles. They lost uh, to Mississippi State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They were also missing Eddie Lampkin in that game, which is a huge loss. And Texas, they have their question marks. You look at West Virginia. They haven't been playing at their best. Iowa State took a loss in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Kansas State has taken a little bit of a step back. So I know that Kansas has taken some losses here, three losses in a row, all in Big 12 play. But right now, they are only a game back of Kansas State, Texas, and Iowa State for first place in the Big 12, and we have a big game coming up this week. Uh, it is Tuesday night, tomorrow night, number five, Kansas State at number nine, Kansas. I cannot wait for that one. The rematch of the game that started that lose uh, three-game losing streak for Kansas, uh, the rematch, Kansas State versus Kansas at the Fog tomorrow night. That is going to be must-see TV. Uh, so shout-out to Kansas for getting the job done. And I'll say this about Kentucky. They are a bubble team right now. It is unknown if Kentucky is going to make the NCAA tournament for 100% certainty. And the thing that's interesting with Kentucky, I know the SEC is a really good and a really improved basketball conference, right? Uh, this year, it's been a little bit hit or miss. I think there are teams at the top I really like, and there, there are teams at the bottom or towards the middle that have just been much worse than expected. Uh, but Kentucky, when you look at their schedule, they don't have a ton of opportunities for just – uh, definite needle-moving wins for their resume. They'll host Tennessee, and they were able to win at Tennessee, but that's going to be a big game. They need to win. They do host Auburn, who, like, their metrics are good, and they are a fringe top 25 team right now. They're going to probably make the NCAA tournament. Bruce Pearl is one of the best coaches in the country, but it's – I don't know if that's going to be, like, a needle-moving type win for your resume because Auburn – they're struggling. They're a team that lost Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, uh, a team that when they have to rely on their guards, I think they could be very vulnerable at times like we saw against West Virginia. So I don't know how much that win is really going to move your resume. And then you have two games against Arkansas, who 
Right now, they're really struggling. Uh, They'll probably make the NCAA tournament. Eric Musselman is that good, but it's not a guarantee right now. So Kentucky really needs to take advantage of every opportunity they have, especially against teams that are currently projected to be in the NCAA tournament. You look at the SEC right now. You have Bama and Tennessee at the top. We're going to get into Alabama, both those teams actually, a little bit later. But you have those two teams at the top. Auburn's a tournament team. Missouri looks like a tournament team to me. And then you have Arkansas, who should be a tournament team. And then Kentucky, who's right on that fringe line. uh, Texas A&M, who Kentucky was able to beat. They're right on that fringe line. So even though I'm not panicking for Kentucky, I still think this is a top 25, top 30 caliber team. They need to do a little bit more if they want to just cement themselves as a definite NCAA tournament team. And I do think big picture, the thing that has really changed this Kentucky team for the better, right? We all know. Severe Wheeler has taken a little bit of a backseat. He gets injured, and it's clear that Kentucky's best lineup is with Cason Wallace running the point, two shooters on the wing in Frederick and in Reeves, play Toppin at the four, Sheboy at the five. And in this game, the two shooters for Kentucky, Frederick and Reeves, they shoot a combined four of 17 from the field in this game. And from three, they shot a combined 0 of eight. So Frederick and Reeves did not make a three in this game. And Kentucky was still in it. And really, it took a couple dagger shots by Kansas to really win them this game. Wilson hit a couple, and it seems like he just hits a couple massive backbreaking shots. Every game Kansas plays, Wilson just hits a big shot that totally takes the life and the momentum and any hope out of your opponent's head. And those are the type of players you love. Again, I think Jalen Wilson, by the end of the season, will be right there with Zach Eady for conversation of National Player of the Year. Every time he takes the four, he dominates. But Reeves and Frederick, they did not play well. They didn't make a three. Both had awful games. Sheboy has 18 points, which is a good game, but we've seen him have 30, 20-plus games. And Kentucky still was right in it with Kansas. Big picture, I'm not panicking. They just need to make sure they take advantage of every opportunity they have. The next four games for Kentucky are pretty manageable. They will go to Ole Miss on Tuesday, one of the teams at the bottom of the SEC that's been Quite frankly, a little disappointing. They will then host Florida and Arkansas and then go to Georgia. If you're Kentucky, you want at least 3-1, and one, maybe even 4-0 in that stretch. But I'm not totally panicking after that loss to Kansas. When you have the Jayhawks coming in after they have lost three games in a row, you know they were the desperate team. They really wanted to get the job done. And shout out to Bill Self and company for going into Kentucky and getting the victory. I still think they'll, they're right there in terms of teams at the top of the Big 12. Continuing with some thoughts on the Big 12 SEC Challenge, there was another game I wanted to hit on and really a team that I've been wanting to hit on. And that was in Knoxville, Tennessee, as the number four ranked volunteers, they were able to come up with a big victory over the number 10 ranked Texas Longhorns. This is at the time of the games on Saturday, and this is Tennessee's fourth win in a row. They're 18 and three overall. And Rick Barnes' squad right now is ranked number one on Ken Palm. They're ranked number one on T-Rank. And I find this so fascinating because this is a Tennessee team and a Tennessee program that has done really well overall under Rick Barnes. He has come into Knoxville immediately and has turned this program around into one of the better, more consistent, best programs in all of college basketball. But there is that dark cloud 
when you think of Rick Barnes coach teams, and I'm a big Rick Barnes fan, but I have to acknowledge it, his teams have really struggled in the NCAA tournament. And that was on display last year when there weren't many better uh, teams playing better going into the NCAA tournament last year than Tennessee. They win the SEC tournament uh, and they had a great regular season, but unfortunately their offense just disappears in a round of 32 loss to Michigan, a Michigan team that quite honestly, Tennessee had zero business losing to. But So now the question is, does this Tennessee team have a legit argument for the best team in the country? And it's important to remember, Alabama, who were would have been most people's, I think, consensus team, number one team going into the weekend, they get embarrassed by Oklahoma. Houston, they really, really struggled with Cincinnati and had to fight their tails off until the end just to find a way to win that game at home. Purdue, they are probably the number one team in the country right now. With Edie and those guards, they just continue to win ballgames. Another impressive blowout victory over Michigan State yesterday. But there are people that think, including Ken Palm, including T-Rank, that Tennessee is the best team in the country right now. I'm not going to go that far. Saturday was only their fourth Quadrant 1 win of the season. And there's no doubt these guys are elite on defense. One of the best defenses in the country. They almost are from that same mold or a similar mode of the Virginia teams that just had so much success under Tony Bennett and still are having success, by the way. But the thing I find interesting with Tennessee is this. Throughout the last few years, the Vols have had a very talented roster, right? They have got have had a ton of depth. Sometimes you even feel like Rick Barnes's lineups and rotations are a little too deep, meaning he needs to focus on just a few guys to be uh, the primary scorers on offense and the guys that have primary roles like Tennessee has had so much talent and Rick Barnes is such a good recruiter that I think over the course of the last few years, it's taken them a little bit of time in the season to find what exactly works best. And I find this interesting because Tennessee was kind of like the North Carolina mold under Roy Williams. They would always play two bigs. And that continued into this season. They were playing Olivier Comois, really good, probably a future NBA player at the four and Oros Plopsic transfer, very experienced, a guy that has been playing college basketball for a really long time, and he's been through all the battles and all the wars. A few games ago, he gets hurt, and Rick Barnes makes the decision to move Kamwa to the five and kind of play four guys around him in Zakai Ziegler. He was coming off the bench. They move him into the starting lineup. They also have uh, Vescovi. Josiah Jordan-James is now back healthy, making an impact. Julian Phillips, they were playing those four guys around Kamwa, who, by the way, in this game against Texas, dropped 27 points, 12 of 15 from the field. He didn't even attempt a three. Kamwa, 30, or 27 points, really good game from him. Zakai Ziegler had 22 points. And then what also stands out to me looking at this box score is Tennessee really played their starters a lot of minutes in this game. Ziegler plays 37 minutes. Vescovi plays 35 minutes. James plays 29 minutes. Kumwa plays 34 minutes. And even Julian Phillips, the freshman, he plays 26 minutes. Tyreek Key with 17 off the bench. And no one else really with a huge impact. Meshack with seven minutes. Plavsic himself was back off the bench in this one. And then Adu, who I'm a big fan of, he only played six minutes as well. So I think playing Kumwa at the five around those four players, that's a really good sign. And for the record, Tennessee, they scored... 82 points in this game. They shot 56% from the field against a really good Texas defense. If Tennessee is scoring like that consistently, there is no doubt they could beat anyone in the country on any given night. 
The question is, are they going to be able to do that consistently, especially without that one guy you label as a go-to score, a guy that's going to get you a bucket when you need it most. Vescovy is an unreal shooter, and he he's a winning player. He's really going to help you. But when you need a shot, is he the guy you want to draw something up for? Maybe, but I don't know how much confidence you're going to have. I love Zakai Ziegler in his game, but he's 5'9". He's a glue guy. Julian Phillips is a freshman. He's not ready. Josiah Jordan-James is your prototypical 3 and D guy. The question is, does Tennessee have that one guy in crunch time when they need a basket? Can they get him the ball and can he do it? That's the one question I have with this Tennessee team. But look, Rick Barnes, I feel like since last year and really throughout a lot of his overall coaching career at times, everyone acknowledges that he's a very good coach that most programs in the country would be lucky to have, but we're waiting for that one breakthrough moment in the tournament. And I'm not going to lie, like, especially after last season and the way it ended for Tennessee against Michigan, I was really starting to wonder, like, is this ever going to happen? They couldn't make the final four with Grant Williams and Adam Admiral Schofield, one of the best Tennessee teams we've seen in recent memory. And keep in mind, this is a Tennessee program overall. They've never made a Final Four, ever. Just like the Bengals and the Bills haven't won a Super Bowl ever, Tennessee has not even made the Final Four in the history of their program. So if they are ever going to do it, this year is a perfect opportunity for not only Tennessee, a program that's looking to break through, but also Rick Barnes, a coach that is really looking to break through. And this game against Texas, if this could continue, there's no doubt Tennessee is a legitimate national championship contender and might be the overall best team in the country now they will go on the road to florida that's not going to be an easy game that'll be on wednesday they will then host auburn on saturday auburn has been struggling but i don't think they're as bad as they've been lately even though they're not great either uh tennessee though right now they are clearly uh one of the best teams in the country the game you have circled is for february 15th that's a wednesday tennessee will be hosting alabama and alabama did lose to Oklahoma, but right now those are the two clear top dogs in the SEC. I cannot wait for that game. And Rick Barnes in Tennessee, they have a squad. Texas will host Baylor tonight. Not too worried about them. I think Rodney Terry has done a really good job since taking over for Chris Beard, especially in those situations. And Marcus Carr, he didn't have his best game. You assume that he'd play better. Uh, I'm a big fan of these Tennessee volunteers and a very impressive performance going Uh, to beat Texas on Saturday at home at Thompson Bowling Arena, one of the more underrated atmospheres in all of college basketball as well. A couple other hitters quickly from the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Have to be really impressed with Dennis Gates and Missouri, the job that he continues to do. Missouri now 16-5 and overall. They beat Iowa State 78-61. to And the thing about Missouri that's so interesting is Dennis Gates, he comes over from Cleveland State, right? And he brings a lot of his guys with him, mid-major players that not a lot of people have ever heard of, quite frankly, in Demoy Hodge and DeAndre Golson, who I'm a big fan of. I love his game. Sean East, all of these guys, Trey Gamillion, who didn't play. And when you watch Missouri, they look like a team that belongs. And the players specifically look like they belong. There are not many better players in the SEC than Demoy Hodge. And Kobe Brown also, I know he was a holdover from the Conzo Martin era at Missouri. And this is again, like a conversation we always have on this show, but I'll keep mentioning it because it's so important. When you are a coach taking over at a new school in the power six, a lot of the times 
the reason why the coach got fired prior to you is that he was able to bring in the talent, but he just wasn't a good enough coach to take advantage and use that talent properly. And you know someone's a really good coach when they come into the new uh, program immediately with old players and make an impact. We saw that with Tommy Lloyd at Arizona last year. We're seeing that with Sean Miller at Xavier this year. And we're seeing it in the SEC to a, I don't even want to say a smaller extent, but with guys like Kobe Brown, who we knew were good players, but we didn't know exactly how good they were. Brown finishes this game 20 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, a double-double for Kobe Brown. He is a first-team All-SEC player, and honestly, one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. That's a guy that could play for my team any day of the week. I'm a big fan of Kobe Brown and his game. Baylor, they had a win over Arkansas, 67-64. to The Bears have really turned it on. They've now won six games in a row after starting off Big 12 play with an 0-3 record. And it's crazy because two of those three losses were just on heartbreaking buzzer-beater shots. But there isn't a there aren't a lot of better front courts or backcourts, I should say, in all of college basketball than George, Flagler, and Cryer. Also, it maybe uh, Baylor could get Jonathan Chashua back, a guy that was, if he was healthy, would have been one of the better defensive players in all of college basketball. And we saw Justin Moore back on the court for Villanova this past week. That was great to see or, uh, with Moore coming back. Unfortunately, Villanova lost to Providence. But not a lot of people knew if Justin Moore would be back this season. He is and has made uh, – he, he played well yesterday. We'll see if Chamo Tachoa could do the same for Baylor. But that's a disappointing loss for Arkansas. There's no doubt about it. It seemed like the Hogs were fighting and clawing for the majority of this game. Keep in mind, this is an Arkansas team that's missing some guys. They're missing Nick Smith, who is going to be one of the better freshmen, maybe the best freshman playing college basketball this season. Trevon Brazil was a big impact transfer from Missouri who looked awesome in his first few games of action this season. He's lost late in non-conference play with the torn ACL for the remainder of the season. Just such a devastating and heartbreaking loss for Arkansas. But they are now 14-7 and overall. They lose this game to Baylor. They are now 2-2 two and two in their last four. They are now 2-5 and five in their last seven games. And when you look at this Arkansas team in SEC play, they are overall three and five. They're in ninth place in the SEC right now with the same record as Vanderbilt. They're a game back of Georgia. And even though Arkansas does look like an NCAA tournament team right now, they're going to have to start winning some games eventually if they really want to cement their mark. Arkansas will host Texas A&M on Tuesday. That's a big game considering how well the Aggies are playing. They actually didn't participate in this big 12 SEC challenge, but they just got a road win over Auburn. They were able to survive against Vanderbilt. That is going to be a big game in the SEC Tuesday night, A&M at Arkansas. Bud Walton Arena will be on fire. And then the following Tuesday, it will be Arkansas going to Rupp Arena, taking on Kentucky. You know that matchup is going to be must-see TV. I mentioned TCU, very unfortunate, losing Mike Miles. Eddie Lampkin, their big man, also did not play in this game against Mississippi State. And the Bulldogs, look, I still believe in Chris Jans. Tolu Smith with 27 points in this game. Deshaun Davis, the Oregon State transfer, gave them 16 as well. If Mississippi State could just score the ball, they will be a good team because they are one of the better defensive teams in the country. I know they hit a, a massive wall in SEC play after getting off to a great start this season, but beating TCU in overtime, even though they were down some guys, that's a nice job by Mississippi State. And when you look at who Mississippi State has lost to also, it's not like they're losing to – 
you know, scrub opponents. They lost to Tennessee twice. They lost to Alabama twice. They lost at Auburn. They lost to Florida. You know, these aren't scrubs that Mississippi State is playing. The SEC is that good of a league. But the Big 12 takes the challenge, 7-3, to three, final edition. And I think a pretty good representation of just exactly how this Big 12 SEC challenge went was that Alabama-Oklahoma game. I think it was just a bad game for Alabama nothing major you could really take away. They just had a bad game. It happens to everyone. And we've seen plenty of instances, including 2014 UConn. That's the one example that really comes to mind for me that year, the Huskies, they get blown out by Louisville. I believe it was in the conference championship game or uh, in the conference tournament. They lose that game uh, by a large, large margin. I'll give you guys the final score right now, but there, there are plenty of national champions eventual national champions that lose in pretty large fashion in uh, at some time during the season. And they just take it as a lesson. Louisville won that game 81 to 48 and UConn ended up winning the national championship that year, 81 to 48. Louisville was able to beat UConn in the AAC conference tournament or in the AAC conference that year. And uh, UConn was able to somehow take advantage of that loss and learn from it and go all the way to a national championship. We'll see if that happens with Alabama, but I'm not really taking anything major away from that game. Just a really impressive performance by Oklahoma team in their own right in the big 12. That's fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. Jalen Hill did a phenomenal job guarding Brandon Miller of Alabama could be a top five draft pick, probably the best freshman playing college basketball right now. He did a really good job guarding him for the majority of that game. So shout out to Oklahoma. They are fighting for an NCAA tournament berth right now. It looks like the top six teams in the Big 12, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, Baylor, TCU, they're going to be NCAA tournament teams. The question is between Texas Tech and West Virginia and um, the, the other teams at the bottom, the two Oklahoma schools, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. How many of those teams are going to get in and the Sumers really improve their chances? So the final Big 12 SEC challenge, it was a major success. Big 12 gets the win 7-3. And uh, that's a pretty appropriate ending to the challenge, considering just how good the Big 12 is. Kentucky, they take a tough loss. Tennessee, they continue to impress. Alabama with a surprise loss. Missouri continues to impress. A very fun weekend of college basketball in the Big 12 SEC challenge. And those were my main takeaways. Welcome back to the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. And before we move on, to the next segment after we broke down the Big 12 SEC Challenge. We want to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sportsbooks with over 1,600 shops in the UK, and they've recently come to the US and have made a splash in a big way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games in the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for our listeners and first-time users. Bet $50 on any College Hoops game and get $250 back in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit BetfredSports.com. So we started off the show breaking down and giving our main takeaways from the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And even though it seemed like that was the most important action and really the only action we saw this weekend, there were a few other things I wanted to hit on. And we will start in the Big 10 
And I have to give a shout out to the Indiana Hoosiers and Mike Woodson. They took care of business against Ohio State, beat them up pretty easily, 86 to 70. That was Indiana's fifth victory in a row. They have now won five in a row, beating Wisconsin at home, going to Illinois and winning, beating Michigan State at home, going to Minnesota and winning a close game without Mike Woodson. That was on Wednesday night. And then beating Ohio State at home convincingly on Saturday. And keep in mind, all this has been without starting point guard Xavier Johnson. And Indiana has really found its groove. And it's interesting because there was a time not too long ago when Xavier Johnson went down, when Race Thompson went down, that we thought this season was lost for Indiana. It's important to realize also that even though this Hoosiers team had to fight their tails off just to make the NCAA tournament last year, coming back from a huge double-digit deficit in the second half of the Big Ten tournament game against Michigan. They also beat number one seed Illinois. They won the Big Ten last year, and Indiana was able to beat them uh, pretty good in the Big Ten tournament. And they barely make the NCAA tournament after that. They lose to Iowa in the Big Ten semifinals. They then get run out the gym by St. Mary's, and this is a Hoosier team that was really the only team in the Big Ten that returned a majority of their scores from last season that came back. But even with that being said, even with adding uh, Jaden Hood-Shelfino, I wasn't sure just exactly how good this Indiana team was. But they've officially found their groove. And with Race Thompson now coming off the bench, these lineup changes, we mentioned it with Tennessee also, mid-year are key. There are certain teams that just have a tremendous amount of talent. But at the end of the day, the coach cannot find the, the right mix. Something isn't right. And that eventually ends up holding that back. In addition, Indiana didn't even have Jordan Geronimo in this game. Race Thompson was actually back to the starting lineup. But another part of the big reason why Indiana has really turned this thing around was because of Jordan Geronimo finally getting an opportunity and taking advantage of it. But he didn't even play in this game. And Indiana is still able to find uh, the recipe to beat Ohio State pretty convincingly. And when you look at this Indiana team, right, there's no doubt about it. Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best players in the country, a first-team All-American right now, but they need more than him. And finally, it seems like they found another player that could just make consistent plays and produce in a consistent manner, Jaden hood Shafino. And it's wild because this kid should be in high school right now, but I did not realize just how good and just how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. And when the ball is in his hands, when he's touching that ball, good things are happening And he was also injured earlier uh, this season, so it wasn't an easy start. He should also be in high school right now. As I mentioned, he reclassified. So props to him. Balling out recently, really played well against Ohio State. The freshman, he had 24 points in that one, shooting a very efficient 8 of 12 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3. Jesus. Huchafino makes six threes in this game. They also, the Hoosiers did got 15 points from another freshman, Malik Renu. He's impressing. So if Xavier Johnson could come back and kind of embrace and accept the fact that Indiana is at their best when the ball is in Huchafino's hands and Xavier Johnson is still going to be able to make plays, but without Xavier, Indiana is really starting to look like the team a lot of people expected and picked to win the Big Ten in the preseason. And that's without X with him back. This Indiana team is scary. And we've had this conversation a lot about the big 10 recently. I don't think it's a bad league. It's just very hard to separate these teams. They all feel like the same. It seems like the big 10 is going to get nine or 10 teams in the NCAA tournament. And just about everyone after 
Purdue is going to be seated somewhere between five to nine. Like that's how close there is no separation in this league. And when you look at the big 10, anyone could beat anyone on any given night. But right now, listen to this. Purdue is in first place clearly by themselves. They have a four game lead or a two game lead in the loss column over Northwestern, but really a three game lead over most other teams. So Purdue's 10 and one. You then have Northwestern at second at six and three, but they're only a half game up on Rutgers, Indiana, and Illinois, who are all six and four. You have Michigan State, who's six and five. You have Michigan and Maryland, who are five and five. Penn State is also five and five. Iowa's also five and five. Wisconsin's four and six. Ohio State is three and seven. So the Big Ten standings are just wild right now. And in the NCAA tournament, I feel like these teams, I know people have been very successful in the last two NCAA tournaments, just fading the Big Ten, but it is just a jumbled mess in this league. And in terms of seeding, it is not going to be easy separating who is really the best team and who could we trust, who can't we trust in this league. The Big Ten is just a jumbled mess. And Indiana and Ohio State really were both in that picture. But Indiana, I think they're starting to separate themselves. There is no doubt when they're playing their best basketball, they are among one of the top two or three teams in the Big Ten. And how about this? Indiana is going to go to Maryland on Tuesday night. That's not an easy spot. But then Saturday, Indiana hosting Purdue, Assembly Hall, 4 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Sign me up for that one. I cannot wait. Assembly Hall will be on fire that game oh my Purdue Indiana can't wait but shout out to Mike Woodson and the Hoosiers for really turning this thing around they should be ranked uh on Monday and they uh played great their last five games on the other hand Ohio State they are now struggling they this was their second loss in a row but big picture they have now lost seven out of their last eight games and when you look at Ohio State in the Big Ten they are three and seven in their last 10 games overall. They are also three and seven. So they've played 10 big 10 games, three and seven in all. And their only big 10 wins are over Iowa, Northwestern. And if you go all the way back to a game against Rutgers in early December, where the Buckeyes really didn't have much business winning. If you remember, that was the controversial Tanner Holden three-pointer made against Rutgers when he stepped out of bounds and they counted for the win. So Ohio State could easily have only two big 10 wins right now. And their fans are really frustrated with Chris Holtman, right? I have always been a Chris Holtman fan. He took over some pretty tough circumstances at Butler, and he got them uh, to the round of 32. He won an NCAA tournament game the year he filled in back in, uh, that was 2015. In 2016, he gets Butler to the NCAA tournament, wins a game. 2017, he gets Butler to the Sweet 16, wins two games. Takes Ohio State to the tournament the next two years. In 2020, the tournament gets canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but Ohio State was among the top 15 teams in the country that year. They were really good, and then they get a two-seed, and that's kind of where the downward trajectory started a little bit. They lose that game to Oral Roberts as a number two seed against the 15 of the NCAA tournament. That was just a heartbreaking loss. They then uh, make the tournament last year, win a game. But Holtman, the, to recap, and the point I'm trying to make, he usually is a guarantee to get you to the NCAA tournament if you're co- if he's your coach. And that is something that a lot of teams would want, right? There are plenty of teams that have very long NCAA tournament droughts that would love to hire Chris Holtman right now. But I also understand why Buckeyes fans are a little frustrated because it always seemed like the standard under Thad Mata was Final Four bust, and the Buckeyes had plenty of really good seasons under Thad that ended before the Final Four in disappointing fashion, and they were done with him. You know, I I know the last few years, Thad Mata 
was not up to par in terms of the coaching he did. Like he, his mental and physical health were clearly affected by his injuries uh, and everything going on with him, his health issues, I should say. But at the end of the day, Ohio State, that program was really declining quickly. And I think they made a great decision to bring in Chris Holtman. And for a few years, he really had Ohio State in a really good spot. But now their fans aren't too happy. And this Buckeyes team has talent, right? There aren't many players in the country I would take right now over freshman Bryce Sensabaugh, Justice Suing, Zed Key, Sean McNeil, likely. They have some good young players in Roddy Gale and Akpara. And Holtman also has a really good recruiting class coming in next year. So it's going to be interesting to see how Ohio State handles this. But if you're Chris Holtman, do you consider doing what Chaka Smart did? Consider doing what Mike White did at Florida going to Georgia, kind of realizing like, okay, I'm not getting fired, but these fans aren't happy with my performance. It's not working out well. I've kind of lost them. And once you lose those fans, it sometimes it takes you need a deep tournament run in order to win them back. And Ohio State could easily do that. I actually like the makeup and the construction of this Buckeyes team if they do end up getting into the big dance. But that game against Indiana was unacceptable. They lose by 16 points, and Ohio State will be off until Thursday. They have a massive home game against Wisconsin, another team in the Big Ten who's really struggling. The loser of that game is going to be in trouble. If Ohio State loses, they're going to be 3-8. and eight. If Wisconsin loses, they're going to be 4-8, and eight. and Wisconsin has lost three games in a row. They lost at home to Illinois on Saturday, and that was right after losing back-to-back road games this week to Northwestern and Maryland. Wisconsin is kind of creeping closer and closer to that NCAA tournament bubble. They have they had three games this week at Northwestern, at Maryland, home against Illinois. They go 0-3. Wisco will go to Ohio State on Thursday, host Northwestern on Sunday. Those would be the next two games for the Badgers, and I know that's another team that struggled a little bit with injuries, right? Ohio State, they lose Zed Key for an extended period of time. He's been in and out of the lineup recently, but he was not there at the end of the Purdue game to guard Zach Eady. That's one game that if you're Ohio State, you just desperately want back, a back-and-forth classic game against Purdue. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. But Wisconsin, they were out. They were without one of their better players for a while in Tyler Wall. He's back, but they really have to pick it up now. Next three at Ohio State, home Northwestern, at Penn State. They'll then go to Nebraska. So Wisconsin has lost three of the next four of their last four games. And three of their next four games are on the road. So it's not going to be easy for the Badgers. But shout out to Illinois. Shout out to Indiana for getting victories this weekend in the Big Ten. And this is another one of these leagues where it's such a grind. You can't take any win you have for granted. Even Nebraska has been picking some people off in their home games, which has been really impressive in terms of the depth of the league. There aren't a ton of conferences that have this amount of stronger teams at the bottom. There are no layups. But sometimes that could cannibalize your overall conference and the amount of NCAA tournament bids you get. To end the show, there was one other team I wanted to hit on in the Big East, and that was Xavier. They picked up a very impressive, or, I'm sorry. Xavier played Creighton, and Creighton was the one that picked up a big 84-67 to win over the Musketeers. And this is a big win for Creighton because, keep in mind, the Blue Jays had some heavy expectations coming into this season right they were a team that made it to the round of 32 last year they basically returned everyone from that team that overachieved like Creighton was a team full of freshmen last year and I think at the time not even Greg McDermott realized how good of a team he really had and Creighton was so impressive at the end 
of last season. They pushed Kansas in the round of 32, the same Jayhawk team that ended up winning the national championship. And they returned just about everyone. Kaluma, Nembhard, Trey Alexander, Kalkbrunner. They also added Baylor Shireman, who was one of the best transfers available in the portal this offseason. And they started off the season really well. They had a really good first two games in Maui. And then they lose the championship game to Arizona. No big deal. They lose at Texas. No big deal. That's also when Texas still had Chris Beard. And then they lose at home to Nebraska without Kalkbrunner. But still, that's a not a great loss. Lose to BYU. Lose to Arizona State. So Creighton had lost five in a row. And people were really out on this team. You know, what's wrong? They're not living up to the hype. And by the way, it was six games in a row. They lost to Marquette as well. But since that loss to Marquette, that was the first game of Big East play. Creighton, since that game is now seven and two over or six and two overall. And they picked up their biggest win of the season on Saturday over Xavier. All five starters were in double digits. That's impressive. Arthur Kaluma, he led the way with 20 points, shot two of five from three, seven of 16 from the field. Kalkbrunner, he's the difference maker. 17 points, eight rebounds, and five blocks. Just there are not many better rim protectors in the country than Kalkbrunner, but they made threes. Uh, It's interesting with this Creighton team because usually Greg McDermott's squads are great shooting the basketball. And it's not like this Creighton team is a bad shooting team, but it's not their main strength. Their main strength is athleticism and Kalkbrunner protecting the rim. But they did shoot three or eight of 21 from three in this game. That is 38%. And Creighton, they're a dangerous team that should be a problem. They have now won four games in a row. Their next three games aren't even too tough. They'll go to Georgetown host Villanova, and uh, go to Seton Hall before a big game Saturday, February 11th. UConn comes to town, and we know these two teams don't like each other. UConn got the best of Creighton in their first matchup earlier this season, but I'm telling you, the Jays might just be the team in the Big East built best for tournament run. Xavier, they lose their only their second Big East game of the season. Not a huge deal if you're the Musketeers. This is a team that is really impressed so far. They were fresh off a road win at UConn, and if you would have told Sean Miller before these next two games, right, at UConn, at Creighton this week, how many games are you winning? I think he would have a 1,000% signed up for the split, and that's exactly what happened. So shout-out to Xavier, and shout-out to everyone who listened to the College Hoops Daily Podcast today. Really appreciate it. Best time of year coming up with college basketball in full swing. Uh, So many different teams in action, so many takes, so many different things to talk about with this sport, and we will be in March before we know it. Everyone have a good one. I'll talk to you guys soon.